I want to talk today about Wikipedia, okay? My favorite online encyclopedia, mostly because it's free. And Wikipedia, it's interesting the way that it started. It, today is the largest online encyclopedia on the internet today. But do you know how it started? Back in 2000, two guys uh, by the name of Larry and Jimmy started a site, but it wasn't actually, it wasn't initially called Wikipedia. Wiki means uh, quick in Hawaiian. But it actually started out by being called Newpedia. And in 2000, these two guys said, we want to make uh, an internet encyclopedia available for everybody and get tons of articles on there. But their process was to get a bunch of professors, scholars, to write these online articles. And what they found is over the course of three years, by 2003, they only had 24 articles on the web. That's only eight a year. And they saw, there's no way we're going to meet our goal at this pace. And so just a year into that venture, they saw this, and so they developed another site called Wikipedia, and the way that they saw, the reason they called it Wiki for quick, is they said, you know what, if we just kind of, if we just kind of employ a bunch of average Joes, every Tom, Dick, and Harry, you don't have to be a scholar, you could actually write an article, submit it online, and then it can kind of be self-edited by your peers, that'll kind of act as a feeder system, like if you're a baseball guy, think the minor leagues. So we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of funnel these up to Newpedia, and that'll really help the situation. Well, what they found is that in the course of one year, they had 20,000 articles published online, as opposed to 24 in three years through the scholarly process. And today, Wikipedia has 40 million articles available online, almost 300 languages, and every single day, over 600 articles are being published just in our language alone in English. Now that's reproducing information, right? But many churches today follow, the, follow the, 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 the methods of Newpedia instead of Wikipedia, and the results show. And what we say, we said last week that we see the church, and we have a few leaders, the pastor, the Sunday school teachers, the elders, that's their job to evangelize and to make disciples, right? So here's Justin. We said, who's called to be a disciple? Well, we saw primarily, it's easy for the church to think it's just us, that we're the players, that it's our job to do God's work, and the rest of you all are just our cheerleaders, right? J-U-S-T-I-N, go Justin, right? And that's you all, okay? Some of you make some ugly cheerleaders, right? I love you. I say that in love. But we're not engaging most of the church in serious church ministry. Just show up and pay up and let the professionals take care of it. But imagine a church. Imagine a church where every believer is engaged in making disciples. Every believer. That we're no longer, the, 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 the leaders are not players the leaders are coaches, and we said the, the coaches are coaching players to go out and, and not just play, but be able to, to, to become coaches themselves, who can, who can coach other players to coach other players. That's reproducing, and that's the difference between a church that will see 20 convert, 24 converts in three years to move to a, a reproductive multiplication model that can see 20,000 in one year, and that's the kind of church that Jesus has called us to be. And there's a pastor, his name's Steve Morell. I ripped off some of his ideas here from this book called Wiki Church. He talked about Wikipedia and how they wanted to be, he was a church planter in the Philippines and brought this idea to this house church that he started. And this church exploded through this method and became 50,000 strong. 
by employing every believer to be a disciple maker. Now you may say, and I know we've got skeptics out there, you may say, well, Wikipedia, or in this case, WikiChurch, if you let a bunch of amateurs do the job, it's going to be done wrong, right? And a lot of people are like, Wikipedia, can't trust that site. Well, Michael Scott, the brilliant uh, philosopher from The Office, he said this, he goes, Wikipedia is the best thing ever. He said, anyone in the world can write anything they want about any subject so you know you are getting the best possible information, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Is Wikipedia a messy process? Yes, it is. And there are times when, when you go on there and you say, that is way off. It needs to be edited. And in the same way, a wiki church is going to be messy and it's going to be imperfect, right? We're going to fall down. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to hurt each other. We're growing. That's why we have to remember the promise of our master. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church, not you. I'm the architect. I'm the foundation. The gates of hell will not prevail against my church because it's my power and promises. See, I'm not building the church. Jesus is. And he's using us in Matthew 28. He said, our job is to go and make disciples. And he goes, as you go in the name of my Son, in the name of my spirit, preaching my word, I will build my church. And so we trust that Jesus is going to use us imperfectly, imperfect people, to build his beautiful bride. And one day, he's going to present this spotless bride to his father. Not because of our spiritual muscle, not because of our ability to be eloquent and be these perfect little Christians, but because Jesus said, when I start, I will finish. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So what we want to do at Peninsula Grace, we are not about just building a bunch of awesome-looking programs. We don't want to just make a bigger and better service. We want to develop a disciple culture in our church. The wiki church model where Jesus calls every single one of us to go and make disciples. We've been using this vision frame this, this as kind of our visual aid here. And we said at the top, we first set our mission, our goal, our true north. The, the, the target that we're aiming for is what Paul said in Colossians 1. That we want to see every single person on earth presented complete in Christ. That every single person would be welcomed into the joy of knowing Jesus as their Savior, following them as their Lord, obeying him in this disciple-making process. That's what we want to see every single person on the planet called into. So we said, well, what's the vision? What's the vision of a church that's going to look like this? And we have on our logo a group of people gathered around a cross. And we said, that's, that's the picture that we want to have of the place that we're called to be. That we want to be a gospel-centered community that reproduces disciples of Jesus. That's the vision for where we're going to meet this goal. But now we're going to use the sides of the frame as the sides help guide us, kind of keep us to color within the lines. And these next two weeks, we're going to look at the method. How do we do this? How do we make disciples? Like, what's the process? And we're going to see it's a, it's a three-step process. And I don't mean this is an easy process. It's simple, but that's not easy. We're going to engage a lost community. We are going to equip a loving community, and that we are going to empower a living community. These three words are going to guide us. Engage, equip, and establish. That the first part of the process to engage, to go into the world, to love people and proclaim the truth, the good news of Jesus and his finished work. And then we're going to equip. We're going to equip the people of the church that are brought into community we're going to build them up in the faith, teaching them God's word. 
to equip them to do this job and then empower them to send them out to go make disciples. Engage, equip, and empower. That's what we believe is the process that Jesus has called us into to reproduce disciples in a gospel-centered community as we aim together to present everyone complete in Christ to the glory of our good, good Father. So today we're going to look at engaging a lost community. Next week we'll talk about equipping and empowering. I was thinking about this when I was young. My brother and I, in our infinite wisdom, we would go rabbit trapping in the backyard. And this was our method to get them rabbits, right? We put a box out, you know the system, put a little twig up, tie a string around it, put a carrot or whatever we had, some, a handful of like cocoa pebbles, I don't know. We put something in there that would lure this rabbit in, right? And then we're ready. We're waiting. Come on, come on. Ready to pull that string and trap that rabbit. Now look at that rabbit. Does he look like he's going to buy into this, right? He's like, I don't think so, dummies, right? And to this day, you know how many rabbits my brother and I have caught? That's right. That's right. We're not good. He's, uh, yeah, no. And this is often the same technique that we try to primarily use for evangelism in the church. So we'll go, hey, we're throwing a pizza party <laughs> at the church. Why don't you guys come on in, hoping some schmo just kind of wanders in and, what is this? Get him, right? And we just pounce on him, right? And start shoving the gospel down their throats, right? In the name of Jesus. No. No. Now, am I against, you know, you know we have, hey, every, every, every uh, Halloween time we have a harvest carnival. We want to see people who don't know Jesus come onto our grounds. I'm not hating on all those things outright. But, but here's what I'm saying. The primary method that Jesus left for us as a model is not to try to lure people in, but to go out to them. We've got to go into the world. We've got to engage this lost community. And Jesus, he's our great example of this, Right? Jesus didn't just sit up in heaven hoping that we'd kind of find our way to him. He knew that would never happen. And so God, because he loved us so much, he sent Jesus into this world. And the Bible, it calls him Emmanuel, which means God with us, that he left his glory in heaven and he came to earth into a place of blood and bones. And he was born into this stanky manger, leaving glory, entering our filth because he loved us. He engaged with us. Jesus was the great initiator. And then when he was here on earth, what did he do? That Jesus is our model for how we go and engage the world. And if you look at, at, at Luke 15, this is kind of where we're going to hang out this morning. In Luke chapter 15, and you, you probably have heard these parables before. We call it lost and found, right? He talks about the lost sheep, shepherd looking for a sheep. We talk about a woman looking for a lost coin. And then finally, a father in search of his lost son or the prodigal son but the context like why did jesus tell these stories the context is just as important as the stories themselves the pharisees always the haters they make this accusation about jesus at the beginning of the chapter and then look at these first two verses now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him him being jesus and the pharisees and scribes grumbled saying this man receives sinners and eats with now, what's, what's the accusation here? In their culture, to, to eat with somebody was to identify with them. It was actually to establish a covenant of friendship. It was a lot deeper than, than us sitting across from each other at Taco Bell. And so with Jesus eating with these people, the Pharisees are going, Jesus, if you're a good Jew, you will not associate with the unclean. 
And when they used the word sinner here, it meant like a notorious sinner. We're talking the prostitutes, the drunks, and the worst of all, the tax collectors. Now, it's getting close to tax season, all right? None of us like the IRS, amen? But this was way worse than that. Think like the sheriff of Nottingham, walking around extorting people. And even worse, they were traitors to the Jewish people working for the Roman oppressors. Detested by the people. And they say, you're eating with them? You're, you're, you're developing a friendship with them? Are you kidding me, Jesus? In fact, in Luke chapter 7, eight chapters earlier, they called Jesus a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And by the way, this was not a compliment. When they said that, this was the look on their face, Right? You're going to eat with them? Jesus engaged with the lost community. And the word engage, it means to participate or become involved in, to attract or involve someone's interest or attention. And it's not an attraction of bringing them where you are, it's initiating with them where they are. And this is what Jesus did. He did not hole up in his home or in the temple and just hope people found him. He went where they were. He walked where they walked. He ate where they ate. Jesus rolled up his sleeves and got dirty with the most detestable sinners in the world. And he talked with them. He listened to them. He ate with them. He laughed with them. He was a friend. And as the Pharisees, they observe Jesus. They're, they're trying to call him out. They hate Jesus. They hate his claims. They're trying to accuse him of something. And their investigative team, after following Jesus for years, this is what they come up with. He is a friend of sinners. He associates with the unclean. This man is evil. And I wonder, the team of investigators followed me around for a week. And what would they find? Would they, would they call me a friend of sinners? They say, man, he's always just hanging out, initiating with the marginalized, the hurting, the despised of the community. Or would they say, man, that guy, that Justin, he just lives in that church bubble, right? Goes to church on Sunday morning, did like 18 different Bible studies throughout the week, right? He's just always hanging around believers. Now, is it wrong to hang out with believers? No, we're called into a gospel-centered community. But, but here's the point. When's the last time really became involved in the life of an unbeliever. And I'm not just talking like I'm in the Safeway line and I'm checking out and I smile at them like really big. Like look at the way I've brushed my teeth. Can't you tell I love Jesus, right? I'll take plastic, not paper. Or they see your, your, your Bible poking out of your purse and they're like, oh, repent! I'm, I'm saved, right? I'm just gonna, like that's not the way this is gonna work. Like when's the last time you've had somebody who doesn't know Jesus over for dinner? When's the last time that I've, that I've spent time with, with somebody and gotten to know them over the period of, of weeks and months and, and years? That you watch each other's kids, that you help them out when they're in a bind. How many unbelievers would consider me a friend? And remember, at Wiki Church, man, we're talking about all believers here. I'm not talking to professional Christians. You can't just sit there and go, well, we pay someone to do that, right? <laughs> it's their job to go and, and, and love the lost. No, 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 no. The wiki church engages every believer. Every believer is a disciple. Jesus was, was kind of accused here of some fuzzy math that he thought one was greater than 99. If you look at this, in response to the Pharisees grumbling, he tells these three stories. He tells the story about the sheep and the coin and the son. In the first one, the sheep, he says, the shepherd leaves 99 sheep to go find the one. 
Like, who does that? You've already got 99 with you, Jesus. Isn't that enough? You gotta go find the one? Just let him go. Or the woman has nine of her coins still, but she, she searches the house, flips it upside down to find one coin. Or this father waits longing for the return of his son who blew his inheritance, even though he's got a good son sitting there right by him. And at the end of every three of these stories, there's a very similar line. This is not verbatim, but the heart of it is each, each one of this is this. Rejoice with me, for what was lost is found. Rejoice with me. The shepherd calls his buddies. The, the woman calls her buddies. The father calls everybody on his estate. Let's have a party, because the one who was lost is back. Now, initially, this might seem like bad math. Like, isn't this Jesus being a glass is 1% empty kind of a guy? Like, what about the rest? What about the ones that are there? And the older brother, he voices this concern at the end of the story of the prodigal son. He says this to his father. Dad, all these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. And you all know you can't party without a young goat. Am I right? And he says, yet this, when this son of yours, he comes back after squandering all your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? Are you kidding me? And to be fair, the son kind of has a point here, right? And why are you spending so much time, wasting so much money on this son of yours that squandered your inheritance, drug your name through the mud, when I've been here the entire time, the good one, doing the chores, right? I wasn't even watching rated R movies. I was doing everything you asked me to do. But you're going you're gonna to give it all up for him? You're going to rejoice because he's back? Put it in 2018 terms. And why, as a church, would we spend so much time and attention and resources in seeking the lost when we've got a whole group of believers here who are hurting, who are broken, who, are, who, who need a lot of help? Why would we focus on the one and not the 99? To which Jesus responds at the beginning in, in, in answer to the question, talking about the shepherd and the sheep. He goes, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So imagine we're on the Cook Inlet in February, icy cold water. There's a hundred of us hanging out on the boat. And one of us falls in, Okay. Not a great situation. You've got minutes at best. Would you say, well, you know what? Let's just focus on the positives. There's 99 of us who are alive and well, right? No, what's a good captain going to do? Everything in his power, even if it means jumping in the water himself, pulling that person back up onto the board, and everybody gathers around, and he performs CPR. And there's this pause, and everybody waits with bated breath. And then he coughs up some water, and he's breathing, and the whole boat loses it and celebrates that the one that was drowning has been saved. And imagine there's this one grumbler on the boat who's like, yo, I was up here the whole time. You didn't see me leaning over the rail. You didn't see me doing the, my best Titanic impression. Where's my party, huh? Yeah, well, great. Here's a sticker, right? I mean, what do they, what do they want? No, let's rejoice that the lost one is found. Now, now, listen to me here. This is not a call to neglect the 99. In fact, next week, we're going to see that engaging the lost is just the first step, right? We bring them in, and then we equip and empower all 100 to know Jesus, to love him, and to go out 
and rescue more lost. The goal is to present everyone complete in Christ, but the question that Jesus had toward the Pharisees is what is your attitude toward the lost? According to Wikipedia, to bring it full circle, the Kenai Peninsula has about 58,000 people that live on it, depending on the numbers. And in our area alone, it's kind of Sabatna, Kenai, greater area, there's about 30,000 people, maybe 35, depending on how wide you cast the net. And according to most surveys, most polls, people will agree, they'll attest that one out of every three people in Alaska claim to be affiliated with some sort of religion. Now, obviously, that does not mean that one in three people are walking with Jesus. But let's just say, for the sake of argument, that it's one in every three that, that are believers. That means in our area alone, there would be at least, at least 20,000 lost sheep. And you know the number's higher than that. Nothing, nothing, nothing should thrill us more than seeing one of those 20,000 come to know Jesus. All heaven is waiting in eager anticipation to throw a party for the one that comes home. And listen, I want Peninsula Grace to grow. I want us to blow this place out. I want 12 services. I want the whole thing but I don't want our growth to primarily come from us stealing people from other churches, which is the way 80% of church growth happens. And people go, we like this service better, we like this music better, of course we like that preacher better, right? There's a lot of good churches in this area, right? Hashtag Bible Belt. Now, I'm not hating on anybody who's come over here from another church, and if you're, finding, if you're here and you're finding a community centered around Jesus, and you're growing in your faith, and we're glad you're here. We're glad you're worshiping with us. But what I'm talking about is where do we put our efforts? What's, what's our aim? What's our mission? And it's not just to get people from other churches to come to our church. It's to go into the, the places, the dark places, where people don't know Jesus, and to see the lost found. We want to bring in the dirty, the hurting, the marginalized, the prostitute, the drunk, the drug addict. I've heard a preacher say, I want this to kind of be the place to be where you're a little nervous about leaving your purse by your chair when you go get to get some coffee, right? I want some sinners all up in this place, amen? Add more orphans to the family of God. That's what I want. I want to grow because I want heaven to be on a nonstop loop of rejoicing as the lost are being found. So where do we start? How do we do this? I don't believe it's primarily going to be done through evangelism programs by a door-to-door ministry. I don't think it's going to be by our surprise pizza parties, right? Not that, again, I'm not knocking any of those things individually, but I believe it's going to be through a wiki church where every believer, as we are going, where we live, where we work, and where we play, that we are engaging the lost with the good news of Jesus. Three simple things, and again, simple is not easy. Number one, we pray. Seems obvious, but man, we have to start this thing in prayer. Listen, you and I, we are not the ones saving people. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power to salvation. It's God's spirit working through God's word that's going to see people saved. We are engaged in a spiritual war, and prayer is our wartime walkie-talkie with our commander-in-chief. We are not going to do this if it's not God working in and through us. And so we pray. And here, I want to make this super practical. For us, think about three people that you know in your life who don't know Jesus. Three people. Pray for them. 
I want to challenge us to pray for them every single day. I started this this week, praying for those people every, every single day. And imagine if each one of us had three people that didn't know Jesus that we were praying for every single day. What change could happen in this community? And what this also gets to do, not only does it help us remember that Jesus is the one that's going to save them, it gets these kind of people on our minds. Do I even know three people that aren't believers? Am I actively friends with three people who don't know Jesus? Now, let's be honest. Start talking about sharing your faith with people, and I see some of you starting to wig out, right? Remember, remember, we don't just pray for them. We also got to pray for us. Paul, the greatest evangelist in the world, had to pray these things. Look at what he prays, Colossians 2. At the same time, pray for us also, and sidebar, they're in prison right now. He's praying for this while they're in jail. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, that I may make it clear which is, I, which is how I ought to speak. He's praying for opportunity, even in prison, and then he's praying for clarity as he speaks to people. And then in Ephesians 3, he says, And also for me, pray that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So here's what Paul prayed for. God, give me an opportunity to share my faith. And then I I ask, as you give me those opportunities, that you'll actually give me words to say and that I'll have the boldness to say them and it will be clear to the hearer. This is what we pray for because we can't come up with, it's not our own eloquence. We're never going to win someone into knowing Jesus through an argument. It's going to be the spirit that convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus told the disciples when they were on trial for their faith in the midst of a court. You can imagine that scenario. He goes, don't freak out. In that moment, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say. And if the Holy Spirit's going to give the words to say when they're on trial in front of a super intimidating government, like in the Supreme Court, you don't think he's going to give me words to say when I'm in the staff lounge at K-Beach Elementary? It's his word that will not return void. So we start with prayer. Secondly, we be present. Be present. We cannot reach out to people. We can't reach out to people that aren't within an arm's reach. They can't hear the gospel if we're not within earshot. We've got to go. We've got to roll up our sleeves and get dirty and know the people in our community. And I'll tell you what this does not look like. The most evil invention in the last century, shield your eyes, the garage door opener. What it doesn't look like, and I love my new garage, right? I've bragged about it many times on this stage. I get to go in there, close the door behind me. I'm nice and toasty and warm. But what loving the lost does not mean is we just always go home, shut the door behind us, and never look at our neighbors in the eyeballs. It doesn't mean when we take our kids to an activity that we just kind of keep our heads down, make sure they get through that sporting event without killing somebody, and then go home. And don't talk to any of the other parents. Right? It's not what this looks like. And some of us, I see some introverts all up in this place. You're starting to twitch, right? You're starting to freak out. We go back to number one and pray for the boldness, pray for the the love for people in our communities. Now, this is going to look different for every single one of us. We've got some slope workers here. We've got some stay-at-home moms. We've got people who are engaged in full-time Christian ministry. And it can be hard to break that church bubble. So start. Take a simple step. I'd encourage you to be intentional. Be intentional with the relationships you already do have. And be intentional to put yourself in positions where you can build these kind of relationships. For a mom, I had to ask for help on this one because this is not exactly my wheelhouse. Um, they have a library program at Soldatna. They have a reading time, a story time, three times a week. 
Bring your kids to the story time, gets them out of the house, saves you some sanity, and you can rub shoulders, make it a goal. Man, I'm gonna talk to one of those moms, just introduce myself, just start there. Hi, my name is. Or maybe for someone on the slope, it's just getting to know your partner that you're in the trenches with week in and week out, spending as much time with them as your own family. And you know what I've found in my 33 years of experience? People love talking about themselves. So just ask some good questions and listen. How can I pray for you? People never turn that down. And maybe you won't come next door to your neighbor and invite them to church and get uh, much of an answer. But they're not going to turn down free food. I know I wouldn't, right? Bring over a plate of cookies. Hey, how you doing? Just wanted to say hi. Right? Take that simple step and engage. Engage. As a pastor, it can be hard to pop my Christian bubble, but that's why I'm intentional. It's one of the reasons I substitute at Beach. And over the last few years, I've been able to develop friendships there, get to know the students, but even I think more so the staff. And, and two of the three people on my list are, are teachers, our staff at Beach. First Peter calls us to, to cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. There are plenty of needy people in our communities. Are we willing to open our homes and our hearts to the lost? Now listen, that's not, that's not easy. Will this be messy? Absolutely. Will it be inconvenient? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be terrifying? You betcha. But there are angels in heaven waiting to rejoice for the lost to be found. And we've been called to go love them. The third part is to present Jesus. Present Jesus. For some of us, having non-Christian friends, that's not a problem. For some of us, we actually don't have any Christian friends, right? And we, all, the only people we know, maybe, I don't know how you grew up, but maybe in this area, the only people you know are not walking with Jesus. And, and remember with Jesus, he didn't just sit down and eat with them and just be like, it's cool, man. Whatever you do, that's good for you. You do you, I'll do me, it's all good. Jesus met people where they're at, but he loved them too much to leave them there. And when the adulterous woman was about to be stoned and he drove everyone away, he said, I don't condemn you either. But then there wasn't a period. He said, comma, now go and sin no more. Jesus spoke the truth to people. He loved them where they're at, but he called them to follow him, to leave their sin and find their savior. See, the point isn't just having non-Christian friends. It's that we are actively to point them to Jesus by our words and by our deeds. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. He said, I've become all things to all people. Why? That by all means I might save some. He came, to the Jew, I'll be like a Jew. To the Gentile, I'll be like the Gentile. To the weak, I'll be like the weak. But here's why I'm doing that. That some may come to know their Savior. He says, I do it all, all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. So, if you meet with people, ask yourself, be wise. As I engage in this world, I'm to be in the world and not of it. Ask yourself, who's influencing who? <laughs> am I influencing them toward Jesus? Or are they influencing me away from him, right? Like, I am not going to go down to good time Charlie's and evangelize, right? That's just dumb. Make good choices. Be in the world and not of it. Point them to Jesus. So ask yourself three questions engage a lost community? Am I actively praying for three people in my life who don't know Jesus? That's your homework this week. Pray for that. God, who are you putting on my heart to pray with? And then we'll just stop there with prayer. That's where it starts. It must start there. But then am I actively becoming friends with people in my life who aren't walking with Jesus? Start with those three. Am I putting myself intentionally in their path to know them, get to become their friends? Love them. Take interest in them. And then number three, are those non-believing friends being actively compelled to become Christ followers through a relationship with us? Am I influencing them toward Christ-likeness or are they pulling me away from it? And those questions are in your, your handout there under the questions for the car ride. 
Think about those. Pray about those. At the end of the day, we're called to engage a lost community. As we are called to be like Jesus, to be complete in him means to look just like him. So Jesus' mission is to be our mission. And his mission was never more clearly stated than in Luke 19. He said, the Son of Man came. Here's why I came. I've got a crystal clear vision and purpose. I came to seek and save the lost. And our job, our primary job in this world is to seek and save the lost. And it begins by befriending sinners, just like us, and pointing them to Jesus with our actions and words. Now, this might sound terrifying to you. And that's why this is just step one. See, see the, the next part, we, we first engage, but then here at the church, through the power of God and his word, we are equipping people to do this and then empowering them to go out and make these disciples. We're not just saying, good luck out there, we'll just kind of hope for the best. The church's job is to train people up in the word, to know their faith, to love and worship their God, and then over the overflow of our worship for Jesus to go out and engage this world. We're here together. We're going to do this together. Jesus will give us the means for what he asks us to do, to go into the world, to reproduce disciples. Let's pray. Father, what I ask is that we would fall in love with Jesus, that each of us in this church would find what it means to be completely satisfied in who he is, and that our hearts, as they become like Jesus, as we behold him, will start to naturally change us. We're not, we're not talking here legalism. You got to get your three people so that you make Jesus love you more. But Father, that we would be the people that just love Jesus so much that we want to tell everyone we know about the wonder of knowing him as Jesus, as Lord, as Savior. Father, I pray that you would put it on our hearts to go into this world and out of the overflow of the love for you, love people. And loving people means doing the best thing for us, for them. And the best thing for them is to know Jesus. Lord, I pray for the people in our church, these players that we're all engaged in this game, that we'd go out, that you'd put three people on our hearts, that we'd begin to pray for them, to actively look to how to be engaged with them. And Father, that's only going to happen by your power. So we lean on your spirit. This is what you're doing in and through us. So we give this to you, Father. You're building your church. We just want to go where you say go and do what you say do. May we, with heaven, rejoice. And over this next year, see the lost become found. Add orphans to this beautiful, messy, gospel-centered community. It's all from you and through you and to you. And it's in the name of your Son who came to seek and save the lost that we pray. Amen.